Well, thank you for your warm welcome and your fellowship today. And uh, I also bring greetings, of course, from the fellowship that I belong to and, and serve the Lord amongst um, Hope Church, as we are now called at Bethel, Kevin Hengoid, and Calvary, Penabrin. About five years ago, in God's goodness, the two churches came together to be one congregation, and it's our privilege to be uh, serving the Lord in those two uh, villages very close together in the valleys just north of here. Um, we adopted that name, Hope, uh, in addition to the, the names of the two chapel buildings, which we still retain. Um, but the name Hope, we felt, was something which would uh, hopefully resonate with people today. It's, it's a theme which I think many people are, are looking for. It's um, something which we were considering this morning is, is largely been lost in our world and in our society. People do want to have hope. People do need hope. And where can we find hope except in the Lord Jesus Christ? It's only in him. And that was our theme very much this morning. And it's a central key theme of the gospel, the hope that is ours, that certain hope, that Christ-centered hope, that hope which transforms lives and, and enables us to live as children of God are meant to live. Um, and it's that hope which is not just something vague and uncertain. It's not just a feeling. It's not something that gives us a warm glow in here but it's something that is lived out in a very practical way from day to day in the lives of true believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. We were considering that theme from the first letter of John and chapter three this morning, but hope is also mentioned, true hope in Christ is also mentioned in the passage we read in Romans chapter five. And I'd like to turn our attention to that passage now, again in God's word. Because it speaks of rejoicing in hope in verse 2. The hope of the glory of God. It speaks of hope being produced even through tribulation and troubles, which enable us to persevere and develop character. But, but hope is produced through that. And it's hope that does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Hope is one of those extra blessings, if I can put it that way, in addition to the joyful experience of being justified by faith because of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And there are a number of these uh, wonderful additional blessings which are mentioned here in this passage. The big question that the Apostle Paul is addressing in his letter to the Roman Christians is this, how can I, a sinful person, be right with God? God is righteous, I am not, and that's the problem. How can I, a sinful person, ever be right in the sight of God? And if that's possible, which it is, the Gospel declares it must be because of a righteousness which is outside myself. And that righteousness is in Jesus Christ himself. And it can be ours through believing in him. Uh, so we come to a right relationship with God 
by faith alone in Christ. And all of that is, is the gift from God. It's by the grace of God alone. And that truth of justification by faith alone in Christ alone. And all by the grace of God alone. That is being brought to a clear focus here in chapter 5. And that, wonderful though it is, that truth of justification by faith is only the starting point in the Christian life. Being justified by grace through faith in Christ is a wonderful beginning. But it is the beginning. If the entrance hall to God's kingdom is breathtaking in its splendour, just wait till we see the glory of the whole royal palace. And in chapter 5, we find out that there is so much more to the Christian life than its beginning. You may have noticed as we were reading this passage that the words much more are repeated a number of times. It's uh, very helpful often when we're studying a passage of the Bible to note which words are repeated. And these words much more occur not just once, but several times in chapter 5. They're there in verse 9. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. And then in verse 10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. They occur again in verse 15. But the free gift is not like the offence. For if by the one man's offence many died, much more, the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And in verse 17, For if by the one man's offence death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. And finally, verse 20, Moreover, the law entered that the offence might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more, much more. The blessings of salvation are so much more than what was lost through Adam's sin and ours. The Bible commentator Matthew Henry puts it this way, the plaster is wider than the wound. A little boy is on his way to the sweet shop to spend his pocket money. And as he takes out that shiny one pound coin, it suddenly slips through his fingers and it rolls and it's gone down the drain. And he, he goes home with tears and sobs, telling his sad story to his parents. And his mum reaches, in, reaches into her pockets and pulls out the only coin that's there. It's not a one-pound coin, it's a two-pound coin. And suddenly a smile spreads across the little boy's face. What he has received back 
is far more than what was lost. And it's very much like that for the Christian. What we have lost through our own foolishness and sin and rebellion against God, our maker, the Lord more than makes up for by his superabounding grace towards us. Where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. And then the Apostle Paul explains how these great blessings in the Christian life have come about. Yes, these blessings are many. There are, there are all of these blessings which follow and flow from justification by faith. We, we mentioned hope this morning. We mentioned joy this morning as we were speaking with the children. Uh, and, and that is a theme that's brought out here in chapter 5. A theme that is very much a part of the gospel. Joy. In the Lord, that joy which rises above our present circumstances. It's not just a feeling. Uh, peace. Peace with God. The Lord Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace. The one who brings peace between sinful man and a holy God. Because he has bridged that gulf. And he has, he has died on the cross to bring peace again with God. And uh, even perseverance to go through trials and, and tribulations and to see a good purpose in God's sovereign plan, even in those things. Although in the immediate situation, we might not see what the Lord's purpose is, yet one day we will realize that all of this has been for our eternal good and for his glory. And so as all of these blessings are unpacked and explained, uh, the Apostle Paul describes in the second half of the chapter a great contrast between what we once were in Adam, our first father, and what we now are if we are in Christ. This great contrast between these two types of people are brought out in the second half of chapter 5. And I'd like us to focus mainly upon this second half of the chapter this evening and this contrast between what we were in Adam and what we are now if we are in Christ. And all of this can only be true if Adam was a real historical person and if the Lord Jesus Christ was a real historical person. Uh, Stuart Olliot brings this out in his commentary very helpfully. The, the reality of what we're seeing here and this teaching that the Apostle Paul is bringing out here is only possible if both Adam and Jesus Christ were real historical people. So the first... Uh, point that we, we, we can realize from this second half of the chapter is that in Adam, we fell. We fell from what we were created to be. We fell from that uh, situation of blessing and righteousness and friendship with God and fellowship with God. We fell from all of that because of our sin. 
just before uh, Christmas time, in fact, it might, might still be open now, there is that uh, wonderful place in Cardiff called Winter Wonderland. Have you been there? And um, there's an ice skating rink. There's all sorts of other um, attractions there. We, uh, for several years running, took the young people from our church fellowship there. And the first occasion, uh, a number of years ago, uh, We'd not been ice skating much before. When we all tried to stand on the ice, our legs were going in, in different directions and we were all holding on to each other. And of course, what happens is that when one person goes down, you all go down. And we came home with uh, quite a number of bruises and aches and pains that evening. I think it did get better um, over the next few years. But there's something similar being described here in what happened when Adam fell into sin in the beginning. Because the whole human race is united to Adam, our first father. We descended from him. And when he fell, we fell. The whole human race fell in Adam. In Romans chapter 5 here and verse 19, it tells us that by one man's disobedience, by Adam's disobedience, many were made sinners. Something similar is taught in the first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 15 and verse 22. In Adam, all die. And... There is this principle of representation that's working here, that Adam is the representative and the head of the whole human race that came from him. God made a covenant with Adam. Obey his word and continue to live forever in his blessing. And yet uh, disobey and fall from that into death. And it was, it was a covenant not just made with Adam, but with the whole of the human race. Adam was the head of the covenant. He was our representative. When he was first created, he was the human race in its entirety. He was the trunk of the tree from which all the branches grew. We are organically linked to him from the same stock, his seed, his own flesh and blood. In Acts chapter 17 and verse 26, the Apostle Paul in his preaching says this, And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth. So when Adam sinned against God in the garden, in a very real sense, we sinned in him and fell with him. As the Westminster Shorter Catechism explains it, that's the reality. That's the teaching of scripture, that we fell with him. The representative acts for the whole body. Now we might think that doesn't sound very fair does it? Should we be blamed for something that happened long before we were born? We weren't actually there in the Garden of Eden. But the fact is, surely, whether we like it or not, 
we are united to Adam. We are one with him. There's a unity about the whole human race. We're joined together as one corporate body. And because of that, we share the same sin condition as our first parents. Jesus said that an evil tree cannot bring forth good fruit. If the whole human family tree is rotten from the roots upwards, which it is, then the fruit of that is seen in our lives and in the world today on a day-to-day basis. Since Adam, everyone born from him is corrupted by sin. That's the reality of the world we live in. Surely we recognise that, don't we? Does the Bible teach this? Yes, it does. In Job chapter 14, for example, in verse 4, who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? No one. And chapter 25, verse 4, how then can man be righteous before God? Or how can he be pure who is born of a woman? Psalm 58, verse 3, the wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they are born, speaking lies. And just in case we might think, well, I'm not included with the wicked. Am I, am I wicked? Let's hear again the words of Romans chapter 3, just a couple of pages before our reading. There is none righteous. No, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. And here in chapter 5, verse 12, it tells us, Through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. Verse 15, by the one man's offence, many died. Verse 17, by the one man's offence, death reigned through the one. Verse 18, by uh, by one man's offence, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. And verse 19, by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. And that means not just to be declared sinners, but constituted sinners, to to be made as sinners. Sin was imputed to us and, and it was transmitted to us down through each generation descended from Adam. But it's important to make this point, to... To explain this, because some would say that sin is only passed down from one generation to another by imitation, not by imputation. In other words, they would say, some would say, children are born innocent. They are born morally neutral or or pure. But when they see others, their parents and others behaving badly, then they learn that bad behaviour from their example. Well, the Bible doesn't teach that, although certainly we can be a bad influence on others. Um, No, it teaches that from the very beginning, as we come into this world, already 
we have that tendency and inclination towards wrongdoing. It's already there. But we mustn't misunderstand this either. We're not saying that sin is somehow passed down through the generations biologically. There's no such thing as a sin gene, as if you could find it by examining it carefully under a microscope. No, our connection to Adam is genetic, but sin is not transferred genetically or biologically. It's this principle of federal headship that uh, he, as the head and the representative of the human race, stands for the whole human family. If we're happy with the idea that what Christ did for us can count for us, that, that he represents us, then we have to also reckon with this fact that our relationship with Adam works that way also. We sinned in him. We fell with him and left to ourselves. We are condemned. We face the just punishment for our sins, which is death and all that goes with that, eternal death and judgment. And if we're still inclined to think, well, that isn't fair, is it? Would any of us here this evening dare to say, well, of course, I'm different. I'm actually perfect. I've never done anything wrong in my life. In any word or thought or action, I've been perfect all the way through. Would any of us say that? I'm sure that we would recognize, each one of us, if we are honest, that we've all fallen from God's perfect standards. He is holy. We are not Have you and I lived a perfect life? Have you kept all of God's commandments all the time, including that great commandment to love God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength, and then to love your neighbor as much as you love yourself? Have you always done that? No, we haven't. And why not? Because from the very moment we came into this world, we were already sinners. And that inbuilt tendency towards sin, which we inherited from Adam, immediately started to show itself. There's a certain kind of golf ball which you can buy in joke shops, uh, which is weighted and biased. And it's, uh, if you've got a particular sense of humour, it can be quite funny to watch somebody try and use one of these things. They, um, they, they strike the ball and think it's going in a straight line, and every time it will deviate from the straight line, it will go off to one side or another, because it's weighted, it's biased. And our true condition, as those who are biased towards sin becomes obvious very quickly. Uh, No sooner are we born into this world. Immediately it starts to show itself. Isaiah says in chapter 48, verse 8, you were called a transgressor from the womb. And that's why naturally we go the way of sin in this fallen world and with our fallen condition. We freely choose to sin. We prefer sin. It's only when 
the Lord Jesus Christ comes into our lives and transforms our lives and changes our inward desires that we then, by God's grace, want to live to please him, to love him, to serve him. But Adam's fall and our fall has affected us totally. It's affected the whole person, the mind and the heart, the affections, the, uh, the choices and decisions we make. They're all corrupted by the fall. And God's comment on mankind in the days of Noah would be true today. Genesis 6 verse 5, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That corruption affects every department of our being. And the result is misery and death and condemnation, eternal hell. As long as we are without Christ in our lives, we're in a miserable and a fallen condition. There's something fundamentally wrong, something not right, something missing from our lives. There's an emptiness there. There's an aching void there which must be filled. And only the Lord himself can fill that void. Every member of the human race has fallen from God and from his perfection. Every part of our being is corrupted. But here is the wonderful answer. There is one man who has pleased God perfectly. There is one man who has lived in this world as a righteous person all the time. And he has fully kept God's law. He, in his life here on earth, embodied the righteousness of God. He alone was able to offer himself to God as a perfect sacrifice to deal with our sins once and for all. And that brings us to our second point this evening. In Adam, we fell, and that fall was a terrible fall. But in Christ, if we believe in him, we are saved. We are rescued. We need to hear the bad news before we can understand, really, the good news. And that's where the Apostle Paul starts in his letter to the Romans. In chapter 1, he describes the condition of the whole human race, that all are in sin and all are under, under judgment. Will religion save us? No, chapter 2 tells us, even if we were brought up to know the scriptures and to know the traditions of God, that won't save us. That's not enough. In chapter 3, all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God, but God in his mercy has provided an answer in Jesus Christ. And it's by faith that we come to know him, chapter 4, that faith which was exemplified in Abraham, uh, the father of the faithful, and uh, by simply believing and accepting the truth of Christ and turning to him and resting our hopes in him alone, we are put into a right relationship with God again and all these blessings flood in and follow through. In Christ we are saved if we belong to him. Through Christ, God restores even more than was lost through sin. 
uh, in verse 20 of this chapter. It says, Moreover, the law entered that the offence might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. There's a hymn in our hymn book, and uh, the words really describe this contrast between what we once were in Adam and what we are now if we are in Christ. In Eden, sad indeed that day, my countless blessings fled away. My crown fell in disgrace. But on victorious Calvary, that crown was won again for me. My life shall all be praise. Faith See the place and see the tree where heaven's prince, instead of me, was nailed to bear my shame. Bruised was the dragon by the sun. Though two had wounds, there conquered one, and Jesus was his name. Yes, though we fell in Adam by Christ and in Christ, if we belong to him, we are saved, we are rescued, we are transformed and brought into all the blessings of eternal life, forgiveness of sins, peace with God and joy everlasting. Yes, we needed to hear that bad news first. We needed that dark backdrop of an understanding of sin and judgment in order to see what the gospel is and to see what the good news is and make sense of it. It's only when a doctor tells us what's wrong with us that we see what the remedy is, what the treatment is that we need. As the Lord Jesus said, those who are well have no need of a doctor, but those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And who are the people that God saves? Not the righteous. Not, that is, those who believe themselves to be good enough already. No, God is the one who justifies not the godly, but the ungodly, says chapter 4 and verse 5. He is the God who justifies the ungodly. And that gives us hope, surely, this evening. For whom did Christ die? Chapter 5, verse 6, explains very plainly. It was when we were still without strength. We couldn't save ourselves. We were too weak and helpless. When we were without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. The ungodly. We didn't deserve any good thing from God. We were still sinners, says verse 8. It was when we were still sinners, when we were without strength, that Christ died for us. We had no power to save ourselves. We were his enemies, as verse 10 points out. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Over this past year, there have been remembrances of uh, times of conflict and war where many have laid down their lives for others. And many have given their lives as that ultimate sacrifice 
in times of war. There are amazing stories of heroism and um, of sacrifice and putting oneself in danger for the sake of others. But to actually die not just for someone that's on the same side in war, but to die for the enemy, that's a different thing altogether. And in verse 10, we're reminded that the Lord Jesus Christ, though he rightly said that he was one who laid down his life for his friends, yet here we can see that he even laid down his life for his enemies, those who had become his enemies by our sin. He gave his life for us. And that means that we can be saved from God's wrath from his righteous, holy anger against sin. We can be reconciled, verse 11, to God. We can know peace with God. We can enjoy that access into his most holy presence because of Jesus Christ and his shed blood. The assurance of his love, we can know that reality because the Holy Spirit has been poured out in our hearts. We can enjoy all of this right now if we believe in him, but the best is yet to come. That glory which awaits us in the presence of Christ is far, far beyond anything which we can know and enjoy even now as followers of him. If you have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, no longer are you in Adam, but you are in Christ. And he's different from Adam very different. He did not descend from Adam by ordinary generation, as the catechism puts it. Yes, he was a real man, truly human. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. He took to himself a real human nature, body and soul. He was fully human, and yet he was without any sin. But he was not descended from Adam by ordinary generation. No, there was a miracle involved in this conception in the womb of the Virgin Mary. In Luke chapter 1, we were thinking of this recently, I'm sure, over Christmas time. In Luke chapter 1, it tells us that um, Mary asked the angel who had come to bring this good news, how can this be? How can I be the mother of, of the Son of God, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. And in, in passages like Romans chapter 5, we see this great parallel between two representative heads. Adam and Christ. And from verse 15 through to verse 21, we can see that being worked out. And it's the same sort of parallel that we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Yes, the Lord Jesus Christ was truly human, 
tempted in every way, says Hebrews chapter 4, like we are, and yet without sin. He was uh, preserved from sin, and uh, he, he never turned away from God's holy, righteous path. Uh, And yet, as a true man, he was able to represent us, to live that righteous life for us, to die for us as the substitute, to take the punishment for all the sins of all his people, and then to rise again triumphantly from the grave, breaking the power even of death itself and bringing victory over death for all who will follow him. So salvation is found in Christ Adam is the representative head of fallen mankind. Christ is the representative head of all his people, those who are saved. And this evening, you are either in Adam still, or you are in Christ if you have come to him to believe in his name. There is no middle ground There is no third category. You are either still in Adam, as we once all were, fallen from God and and under ruin and condemnation, or you are now in Christ because you've believed in him. The Spirit of God has come into your heart. You've been born anew, and you belong to him now. Not only today, but eternally. Your name has been crossed out of one family tree and written into another family tree. Edward Donnelly was preaching a number of years ago at the Aberystwyth Conference. Many of you would have been there on that occasion. And he was bringing to life various illustrations from the writings of the Puritans. And he mentioned one in particular which Um, struck a chord with many of us and uh, stayed in our memories. And it was an illustration by the Puritan Thomas Goodwin. And um, Pastor Donnelly's words from those addresses have been put into print, so I can do no better than to just read uh, his words on this as as he rehearses this wonderful illustration that Thomas Goodwin once gave. Can you visualize the picture which Goodwin draws for us? Now, we need to uh, bear with this illustration because it sounds strange to to our minds at first, but imagine this. He imagines two great giants, one called Adam and the other Christ. Each is wearing an enormous leather girdle or belt with millions of little hooks on it. You and I, And all humanity are hanging either at Adam's belt or at Christ's belt. There is no third option. There is no other place for us. And God deals with us only through Adam or through Christ. If you are hanging at Adam's belt, you share in the experience of sinful, fallen Adam. And your entire relationship with God is through him. But if you are hanging at Christ's belt, all God's dealings with you are through Christ. When you received Jesus as your saviour, you were involved in a massive and momentous transfer 
the Almighty himself unhooked you from Adam's belt and hooked you onto Christ's. So you now have a different head, a different mediator, a new representative. You have passed from Adam into Christ. And whereas God formerly dealt with you only through Adam, he now deals with you only through his son. You are in Christ unchangeably and forever. Can I ask you, is that a reality in your own experience that you have been transferred from that fallen family into the family of the redeemed, those who are saved, those who are with Christ now and forever? If you're in Christ, you're no longer belonging to that corrupt tree whose roots are Adam. You belong to that pure good tree whose roots are Christ. And because of the roots of that tree being good, the fruit will be good also. Now we won't be, as we said this morning, completely free from sin and all its effects until we reach glory. But we will then... We will break free then, even from death. Even that enemy won't have any hold over you. You will be raised again with Christ. And our greatest confidence is not in our ability to obey God, but in our new identity as God's children, if we are in Christ. Because we are now in Christ, nothing can take away our part in his inheritance. We're no longer condemned. There is therefore now no condemnation, says chapter 8, to those who are in Christ. Nothing can ever separate us from his love, the end of chapter 8. Nothing in all of creation can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. So if you are his, if you have put your whole hope and trust in Jesus Christ alone, you've been transferred from one family tree to another No one can remove your name from that family tree if you've trusted in him for salvation. You're his and you are his forever. And he's with us now and he always will be with us as our saviour and Lord and the head of the family of the redeemed.